Hi, dear listener. Zach here. I'm proud of the work we did on Call of Discovery and Keyforge Public Radio, and last year I took my love of podcasts full-time with my company, Rooster High Productions. If you know someone with a business who wants to broadcast their expertise through podcasts and derived social media marketing, send them my way to Zach at RoosterHigh.com. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to Call of Discovery, the podcast where we invite you on a journey into the crucible for a weekly or fortnightly celebration of all things Keyforge, its community, and of course, the excitement of Discovery. I'm still somehow here as your co-host, Ed Pocock, along with Zach. Zach, how are you doing? I'm good, Ed, which is a feat. It, well, it, it is. It is for the moment. So I'll take that. I'll take that. I really, really like that. And today, we've got a run of these at the moment. None of our guests have left us after the first episode in a long time. Um, nice to be back joined by you, George. Hello. Hello again. And today, of course, we are going to be doing a deck discovery episode. These are, of course, the episodes where we take George's favorite deck or one of the decks he thinks is peculiar, surprising or strange on a journey and we see what is in store for us. So, George, without further ado, would you like to introduce the deck you have brought today? So the deck I brought today is Dajad. Placid Stadium Crony, and that's D-H-A-J-A-D. Uh, my reason for choosing this deck is twofold. One is that it ties into last week's episode about battle line placement in a way that I didn't expect. Um, and this deck kind of, I'll say, opened my eyes a little bit on different things you can do with it, as well as a deck that I'm particularly bad at, but I feel like this deck could do so much more than what I do with it. Well, being bad at a deck is a great reason to come here to Ed and Zach, where we are often bad at decks, so you are in good company. Often? I'm always bad at decks. <laughs> yes, um, and I will have to say I enjoy the name. A placid stadium crony uh, is certainly one of the more desirable kinds of stadium cronies. This is uh, Dajad, obviously not residing in Philadelphia, um, being placid. So, if the stereotypes are to be believed, and this is of course a Call of the Archons deck um, with an interesting and lightly array of houses: Logos, Sanctum, and Untamed. So, George, every deck has a good story, um, or the best decks in the world have a good story behind them. What is the story behind this deck? How did you discover it? And um, how did you start start playing with it? And what were those first experiences like? So my first experience with this deck is uh, part of the reason that I love it so much. So this was a sealed event at a local game store. Um, and this was... I think after Worlds Collide had come out. 
So this was like, oh, hey, we have this box of Coda. We're going to do an event with it. Um, excuse me. Sorry. <laughs> um, and I opened this deck in that event, and it seemed like a great deck at the time. But as I started playing it, I started noticing like the weaknesses or the things I was doing wrong. And my favorite, like, um, the the biggest thing that like caught me off guard was I was playing against um, Kyle Ramey, who's active on like the buy sell groups and stuff. He's a great player, and while he was living up here in Chicago area, and he was interrupt like interrupting my deck um, very expertly, and we're playing the game, and I have the Witch of the Eye which is, you know, you reap with it and you get any card out of your discard pile back to your hand. I had that card on a flank and I called Logos turn and I played a wild wormhole, which is play the top card of your deck. And I got Sergeant Zekiel off the top of my deck, which is ready and fight with a neighboring creature. But I only had which of the eyes on my flank because I had called untamed last term. And so I had to put the... Sergeant Ezekiel next to a Witch of the Eye and attack with it, and there was nothing that wouldn't kill it on the board at the time, so I basically just killed my own Witch of the Eye. Um, which is not what you want to do in a game of Keyforge, because that card is just a value engine. Um, and that was like, okay, I maybe need to slow down and take a different approach with this deck and look at it again. Um, and that's why I like this deck so much. That was one of the first experiences. And then the next round, I have a combo. Um, <laughs> same with Witch of the Eye. You know, you get a card back. The deck has two inspirations in it, which is ready and use a friendly creature. And it has Virtuous Works, which just gives you three amber. And so I had a turn where I did Virtuous Works and then Inspiration on the Witch of the Eye. Um, and it has two, so the combo works. So then I did Inspiration six times, and then on the last one, I got Virtuous Works back and made 12 Amber in addition to the other things I was doing in the at the time. I think I made like 18 Amber in one turn. And then my opponent just calls Shadows and does too much to protect, which steals all but six of my Amber. And there was like no coming back after that. Uh, this deck does not have a lot of Amber control to keep up with its, with its own speed. And I kind of liken that to... Um, driving a Lamborghini that I don't know how to drive and just crashing it into a wall and hurting myself, which is kind of why I like this deck. It's not my typical play style, and it's very hard for me to pilot. And the great thing about that is with a Lamborghini, you can't ever drive that Lamborghini again because it's totaled. But with a deck, you can just play it again. <laughs> That's true. Benefits of Keyforge. And total it again and again, which is what I do every time I try to play this deck. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and let's get into that a little bit because, you know, we, we found out in our last episode that you are a very good player, I think it is to say, um, or at least uh, tournaments have proven you to be so. So when you say that a deck is difficult to pilot, I think that is that is something that perks up everyone's ears. So what are what are the main reasons for that? And what are the main challenges that you face with this deck? I don't know if it's difficult to play, pilot so much that it's, it's not my style. Um, or I should say that it's a type of deck that I don't have a lot of experience with, which is a deck that can just generate tons of amber very quickly. Um, 
I haven't had a deck that got so big and fast like that to have to play around my opponent's effects so much. So, um, I've been vocal about like, I don't think bait and switch is that good. I don't think steel is that great. All of these effects. And oftentimes it's because I can play around them or just not play into them. And I think that it's the better you get, the less, the better it is for you to be doing your own plan rather than reacting to your opponent's plan. Excuse me. But now with this deck, it generates so much amber that you just can't do that. You have to play around things. You have to actually like slow down. And it's it's difficult to know when. Um, like when you slam on the gas, you go so fast. But sometimes you need to like pump the brakes and say, well, my opponent probably has that. Uh, maybe I should not play all of my cards, which is like a weird thing to say in Keyforge, right? Hand cards plus board, you're trying to like maximize your turn. Well, when your maximum turn is 20 amber and your opponent can like blow you out in any in any type of way. And the more cards they make, the more likely that's to happen. You need to maybe only generate nine amber and not draw any cards that turn. I don't know. Sure. So is the is the main test there really how much amber to make or not make because of things like too much to protect or interdimensional graft uh, or anything that captures all of your amber, maybe like Dremble, Anthony, all those sorts. Is that the sort of like threats you're, you're thinking of when you talk about that? It is, but there's also unexpected things that um, I'm not even sure I can think of right now. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a big part of it. And that's a big part of the meta right now, right? Like everybody thinks you need to play Shadows or you need to play Saurians and have those big combos. And there's break combo and stuff like that. So it's kind of um, an anti-meta deck, if that makes sense too. So... There's there's a there's a lot of factors there. At least for me, there yeah. are. I'm sure that there's some players that are used to this type of deck that could probably make it sing much better than I could. Sure, sure, and I think uh, Ed and I can really appreciate the philosophy, George, that that you talked about when uh, with this deck that like it's not a style you're totally used to. So getting better at something new, you know, that is just another aspect of how we get to. Uh, I know we kind of slap it on everything. Um, I'm grateful to help from future self. Whenever they say hit discovery, they're like, oh yeah, call them discovery. We love them, um, which is just the sweetest thing. Uh, but it's another aspect we of love discovery. You too, help from future self. Well, I wouldn't go. I'm, no, it's true. We do love them. They are the you can you can literally keep time by them, and how often they release. Um, but going after a kind of deck that you're not used to is just another way to like you know discover more about Keyforge. And I, I think it's fascinating to go after a deck like this, and it looks so like so much fun, right? That. If you just turn it up to 11, you'll get a crap ton of amber, but it might not be the right moment to do that. You have to kind of wait, kind of sit neutral and say, okay, now's the right time to just absolutely go for it. And I don't know that this deck has a different mode. I think it's just cranked to 11 no matter what. Um, (laughs) At least I haven't found it. It's just, it's like so much amber all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hunting Witch, not really an optional effect there on Hunting Witch. <laughs> yeah, I guess with, with cards like Virtuous Works, it's you know it's pretty pretty hard to play around your, your Infernus unless you can archive it. Hmm. No. <laughs> no. In that case, you might as well just go for it. 
the the good news is is that it can generate so much amber that if they don't have a scalable effect like too much to protect or uh, doorstep to heaven, like you can lose six amber and be perfectly fine. Like if you generate twenty four amber, six amber doesn't matter. You're still going to win the game in three turns if they don't do something different. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. And we see on this deck with the tournament wins and losses, you've you've gone three to seven currently. Yeah. So <laughs> what what are what are the stories around that? What experiences did you have taking this to was it chain bound or was it different types of events? So the first was the sealed event that I played it in, which I think I went like one and two in. I think we might only did three rounds. And then I probably took it to a chainbound event, and then I took it to um, a store champ. It might have been one where you get the invite to Worlds before they announced like the top hundred players get invited or whatever. So, and that's it's kind of the same story. Like every time I try to do what I think the deck does, and then I get blown out by some scalable effect. Um, one was. What was it? I think it was the Brobnar where it's like you get an amber for each creature that destroyed and then they just board wiped me. Um, and this is not a deck that is trying to fight my opponents. Um, I, I should I should revise that. It's trying to fight, but it's doing so for like Bat Drone, which is fight, steal one amber. And um, Quixo, which is fight, steal or draw a card. And then it has Cleansing Wave, which is heal one damage from each creature, gain an amber um, for each creature healed this way. So this is like, I'm trying to ignore the opponent, go as fast as possible, and then they have to kill my creatures, and then I punish them with a Cleansing Wave for doing so. But then if they get one amber for all my creatures that die or whatever other thing that blow up, then it's like the the beatdown switches from me to the opponent with a single card, um, which makes it so quite hard to pilot. So with this deck, George, uh, you've mentioned it's it's sheer speed, which we're used to from kind of Coda Untamed for Amber Burst. Logos uh, often provides kind of card speed, usually drawing speed. But so in, in Dijon specifically, what roles do the different houses play to kind of achieve this, this uh, perpetually wrecking Lamborghini effect? So the thing is, I think all three houses are just, gas they're just made to go as fast as possible um uh in in untamed we have the hunting witch dust pixie nature's call key charge combo um we even have a life web which is steel if your opponent played three or more creatures and everything except for there's a single snuffle snuffle gator which doesn't really generate amber of any kind but Everything generates amber in some way or generates value. Um, almost every single card in the deck is like that, with the exception being Snufflegator. Um, Sanctum has, what does it have that doesn't generate amber? Gorm of Ohm, Hallowed Blaster, and Bulwarks. Um, the Bulwarks are more for battle line placement to defend which of the eyes or maybe defend bat drones from removal but for the most part like all of these actions have amber in some way um 
Shield of Justice gives Amber the the damage doesn't matter that much. It prevents damage, but I'm trying not to fight typically. I'm trying to reap. Um, Terms of Redress gains an Absher and Captures, which makes my opponent fight me. Um, Protect the Weak has an Amber. Sergeant Ezekiel, like, readies and fights, which kind of gets into the the battle line topic from the last episode, um, which I'll go into the Logos. So the Logos has three Bat Drones, which is Skirmish and Fight and Steal. It has two Wild Wormholes, which plays the top card of your deck. And the card that I think is the worst card in the game, which is Chaos Portal, it's an artifact that has the ability action. <laughs> Choose a house, reveal the top card of your deck. If it's that house, you play that card. Um, <clears throat> which is like a wild wormhole with a 1% chance to happen. So the funny thing about this deck is typically you want to like protect your your smaller creatures by putting them in the middle, which you might want to do with like your bat drones or your quicksos or something and putting them next to your bulwarks to get that defense. But because if you look at the two inspirations and the Sergeant Ezekiel, that's three out of 12 cards, which is what? 25%. You have, if you're playing logos and you wild wormhole, you have like a pretty good chance to use one of these sanctum cards that actually ready and use one of your other house cards mm, and the the, yeah. o- the only cards you really want to use because there's so many actions and artifacts in this deck are actually the bat drones the quickso maybe the replicator if your opponent has a good effect or the witch of the eyes to get like one of like maybe you get a wild wormhole back so you really want to put the bat drones or the other skirmish things on the outside on the off chance that you flip into one of those abilities and like use that on your off turn to play into your outs that you might actually have to fight with a bat drone on like a different turn than you expect because you don't want to accidentally kill your own witch. Every house in this deck is just really trying to interact with the other houses and go as fast as possible. Um, the Logos even has a Vainland Analyst, which each time you use an artifact, you gain one. So it actually turns the Hallowed Blaster and the Gormavone into a- uh, Amber, like generators, and the Chaos Portal, which never fires anyway. <laughs> or, if <it> does, <laughs> or if it does, it hits Key Charge when you have five Amber, right? No, of course. Of course. <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> when Key Charge shows up off the top of your deck, certainly. Certainly. So, George, you've mentioned quite a, a number of just really fun combos, especially cross-house combos here. Uh, there just seem to be so much fun. I mean, even if they make you go too fast and then you lose, they seem a lot of fun to try to pull off. Um, I'm I'm seeing something here that I think works. Uh, two inspirations in Witch of the Eye. I think you can rule of six that, can't you? You can, yes. Um, you yeah. can. When it's a single one, technically it's not in your discard pile. But because the deck actually has two inspirations, and it has two Witch of the Eyes, so, mm-hmm. you know, they always have to kill the Witch or whatever. It's actually difficult to kill both of them, especially yeah. if, you, if you can stick them next to Bulwarks, which it also has two of. So the combo is actually not that difficult to set up. I've done it multiple nice. times. It's just That's I also awesome. get punished for multiple times. 
Right. <laughs> right. So uh, beside that one, which caught my eye when I was looking over the list, are there um, other combos, maybe even combos that happen less uh, <clears throat> less occasionally, uh, other combos that you really enjoy it when you get to pull it off with this deck? Um, something I like quite a bit is Cleansing Wave. I love cards that scale, especially when you're behind. Mm, sure. This deck, the biggest creature in this deck, I think, is Titan Mechanic, which is uh, not one you want to be fighting with all the time. So, because it has so many must-kill creatures, you know, it has two Witch of the Eyes, one Hunting Witch, um, three Bat Drones, your opponent, like, should be fighting you so much that a lot of their creatures have damage on them, and then you just Cleansing Wave, and you might get six Amber from that. There's uh, there's the obvious key charge where you could do the busted untamed turn of hunting witch dust pixie dust pixie nature's call key charge and you just kind of get that maximum turn but there's no archiving to set it up so you really just have to kind of play into it and go as fast as possible <laughs> one of the things kyle ramey did in one of our first games was i had witch of the eye um with key charge in my hand and i had dust pixies in my discard pile and he played um creeping oblivion because this was before this was coda sealed right and he he uh, purges the dust pixies. Like he definitely smelled that I had the key charge in my hand. And dust pixie is not the not my first choice for what I would get with Witch of the Eye. It makes a lot of sense, but he like he smelled it coming and got me really good with just by purging them. Those yeah, are, those are the good ones. It can, it can often be the thing that gets played around where you really get like the sense of a good game from your opponent. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. Um, and I have to, I have to recognize your compliment to Kyle Ramey's Keyforge nose. Um, it took me, we played at organized play across Virginia, Atlanta, and he's uh, semi-local here to me. Um, it took me the better part of a year to actually finally beat him in a single game of Keyforge. <laughs> he's good. Um, Hey, he's good. And he is, uh, for how good he is, he is also twice as gracious, um, which uh, just makes me matter that I can't actually, like, dislike him at all, which he's is just very, really he's unfortunate. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> he's very kind. So uh, I'm not surprised that in a, your, your random Keyforge story about your opponent who made the right call with Creeping Oblivion that it was, in fact, uh, Mr. Kyle Ramey. And did we, did we ask uh, how that event went where you opened this deck? Oh, and horrible. I mean, the, oh, the, the, <laughs> the record of the deck kind of shows that I haven't won any any even local events with it. It's three and seven. Like, sure. I, haven't, I don't think I have a positive record with this deck at all, but sure. uh, I think it's a fantastic deck. It's just mm -hmm. maybe not my style. Sure, sure. And uh, I've, I've talked with um, some locals here before about the concept of educational losses, right? Like, if you can if you can work up to a win, maybe even with another deck, by getting more educational losses along the way, then I think I think they can very much be worth it, which can apply to other areas of life, too, besides just um, crashing your Keyforged Lamborghini into the wall over and over again. Which is still fun. <laughs> yes, it's still very fun. <laughs> I will um just in general, like local tournaments don't they don't have the weight of them, you know, so you can do a little more fun things. So, in if I'm in a local event and I have the big play that might get punished, I'm going to do the big play every time. Um I'm going to generate the 20 amber or like blow up the board or whatever like 
those are those are memorable moments and they're even more memorable when the opponent just has the like they have the thing in their hand and then after you do the big play they just have that smirk and like that's good i had fun they had fun you know everybody wins even if if somebody loses you know it was still fun and learn something I like the ethos there. I really like it. And if you do still win and they don't have the answer, then it feels even cooler because you've been like, shouldn't I play this? Shouldn't I play this? Oh, I'm going to play this. And then it's like, he played it. This is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, I miss those, those in real life moments of uh, absolute chaos. That's what makes Keyforge so good is like those big explosive swingy turns because even if your opponent like rules of six combos or you know draws their whole deck or something there might be a card where you just completely turn the game around a single card can completely turn the game around like cleansing wave right i could get board wiped but if my opponent has 12 creatures with damage on them then one card gives me 12 amber like you just played into my trap and, and leading off the fact that a single card can change the whole way a game plays, if you could pick one card to add into this deck from any set, what would it be and why? Oh, one card. It would have to be a Logos card to replace Chaos Portal. <laughs> um... Whilst you think, I'm really interested that your first thought there isn't, oh, I'd want this card. It's where would that slot into my deck and, you know, what would it replace? That alone mm, shows the way that you think about Keyforge, I think. I appreciate that. You might be giving me more credit than I just really hate Chaos Portal. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, probably, that's fair. That's you fair. Know what? Any, any Logos card... Any other Logos card from any other set, just swap it for Chaos Portal. It could be oh. Effervescent Principle where I kill my own Amber. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, 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 doubling, doubling down on the Chaos Portal hate. I love it. I love it. So you, you guess a house and you think about it. There's kind of two ways to go about it. There's You count all your cards and you figure out that your deck has you know nine Sanctum cards and one Untamed card. So you call Sanctum, and then you flip the Untamed card and you tilt. Or you think about it like, what card in my deck is best for this situation? So you name that card, and then it's just not that card. I feel as though it really has like a 0.001% chance of ever working out. And I don't know that it ever has for me. If you have two, maybe if you have two, um, you can call in and look and then do it again. Or at the very least, it would let me like see what the top card of my deck is before I do a wild wormhole. That's like the best oh, sure. it in this deck. Um, but then I'll call untamed and flip the key charge, like I said. So the time that it hits is going to be detrimental. <laughs> it, it's, it's my least favorite card in the game. In the game? That's a, in the that's entire a game. big yes. cool even even more so than our friend Meganarp. Even more so than Meganarp. Even more so wow. than D- Dimension Door. 
Wow. Dimension, <laughs> Dimension Door hits more often than Chaos Portal does. We uh, Ed, I know we don't really do clickbait titles uh, here at Call of Discovery, but I think, I mean, George is really setting us up to just over-characterize his feelings about Chaos Portal in a really dramatic <laughs> way and get us those clicks that we desperately need. What, what are you thinking? Uh, episode name, he hates this card. <laughs> <laughs> find out more <laughs> vault or winner hates it hates in all caps <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> at I least it's it. rare it's rare that's true you don't see it that much yes it, it certainly follows the the wacky the wacky complicated effects are at a, a higher rarity there so uh you don't have to suffer through a deck with uh three or four of these <laughs> every every deck has that card though right or it just doesn't line up I remember, um, what was the altar, the altar card when the game first came out and they kept like, why does altar only appear in decks with no humans in it? It was like super weird. And then they started like adding, I don't know what they did in the algorithm, but. Oh, sacrificial altar. Yeah. And I think it was, uh, they, because it had an Amber, I think that the philosophy was because it had an Amber, it's okay if Sacrificial Altar isn't a deck with no humans, uh, which for the uninitiated artifact gives you an amber. It says, actions, sacrifice a friendly human creature if you do play a card from your, or play a creature from your discard pile. Um, but it was just pretty common for that to show up with zero humans. So it was literally yeah. useless except for the amber. And it's an artifact, so you're not going to cycle it. If anybody wants to try it out on the Crucible online, feel free. I'm pretty open to, like, play my decks. I don't really care. Like, it's not... Uh... It doesn't hurt me if you want to play any of my decks, try them out, you know. I'm open to that. If you feel like you can pilot this deck very well and you want to buy or trade it, I'm open to that. But otherwise, I do like this deck quite a bit. You too can crash George's Lamborghini into the <laughs> yes. cliffside at 130 miles an hour. <laughs> or maybe, maybe you uh, don't. Maybe you pilot it better. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. Well, George, thank you so much for coming back on for the Deck Discovery episode and bringing along Dejad, uh, the unstable, intense Lamborghini. I mean, Dejad, Plasm Stadium Crony. Uh, this has been really a great pick, uh, a lot of fun to talk about with how powerful the deck is and how it just uh, goes too big every time, all the time. Uh, really interesting pick. So thanks for coming back. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Well, and thank you all so much for listening. And of course, if you are enjoying Call of Discovery and you're willing and able to support us monetarily, our Patreon is linked below where you can put your own weird and wonderful decks in the spotlight and have a say in our future through our Patreon-only Discord. You can let us know what you'd like to see more or less of in future shows, and you can do that uh, You can do that in any way, and you can do that especially by emailing us at podcast at callofdiscovery.com. Dot com. Please uh, subscribe on your regular podcast app, leave a review, and if you leave a particularly spicy review, a particularly wordy, eloquacious one, uh, we will read it out on the podcast for all to hear. Uh, you can, of course, find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, but most importantly, more than all that, if you think a friend would enjoy this podcast, please help them to discover it. Have you answered the call of discovery? Discovery.